Welcome, everybody. We are glad to have you with us worshiping at Wilshire. I apologize. My voice is getting there, but it's not all the way there yet. But it's closer. It's closer. Last Sunday of 2023, I don't know about you, I'm kind of glad 2023 is over. I mean, there were some good things in 2023, but by and large, I'm kind of glad to see the end of this year. We had a lot of sad things happen this year, and a lot of death. And I'm glad to see the end of it, and I'm hopeful for the next year. When New Year happens is a bit of an accident historically. We, we follow kind of a precedent. Of, I think it's the Romans uh, that we set the New Year at this time. Uh, they were following, I think, some things that were happening in nature. Uh, in the northern hemisphere, there are a lot of festivals that celebrate something about this time. Because uh, people who really watch the sky in the northern hemisphere realized about 10 days ago, the night was long and dark. And the day was short and dim. And then something changed. The day started winning against the darkness. Starting around December 22nd, the light starts getting stronger again. After it seeming like it was losing for months, the days start getting longer. And by this time, even ordinary people who don't watch the sky realize that's happened. And so there are, all around the northern hemisphere, there are festivals of lights of various kinds that uh, predate Christmas and things like that. And so New Year's makes a lot of sense to set the calendar at this time uh, that we are passing from the old into the new. And honestly, even though we realize it's just like kind of arbitrary, the point, you know, in the orbit of the earth around the sun, it still kind of makes you hopeful. You can't help it, right? 2024 is a new year, so maybe it's going to be better, right? <laughs> you can't help feeling that way. Passing from the old to the new. Well, Mark has been building up something, really for his whole gospel. And certainly since chapter 8 of his gospel, as we've been studying. Chapter 8, he and uh, Jesus kind of pulls his disciples away. And he quizzes them. He says, you know, who are people saying, what are they saying about me? And they say, oh, you know, they've got lots of opinions. You know, people think you're Elijah, maybe, or John the Baptist come back from the, they got lots of opinions about you. Well, who do you think I am? And, and Peter pipes up and says, you're the Christ. You're God's king. That's who you are. And Jesus immediately, and this is the first time this has happened in this gospel, because the tone all changes at that moment in Mark 8. 
Jesus immediately starts saying, here's what's going to happen. When I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be rejected by the leaders of our people. The chief priests, the elders, they're not going to welcome me. They're not going to set me up on a throne as the king, as the Christ. They're going to reject me. They're going to ridicule me. And they're going to kill me. And three days later, I will rise from the dead. That was such a shocking statement. If you go back and read that in Mark 8, Peter immediately takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Tells him, you're just dead wrong, Jesus. I know I just called you our king, but you're just dead wrong. That's not true. That will not be what happens to God's Christ when he comes to God's city, Jerusalem. And Jesus has to turn around and rebuke the spirit that's coming out of Peter's mouth. He says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus is God's king. The disciples are right when they say that. And he has come into the world to change everything. And Mark 15 is when everything changes. We're marking an event on the calendar at midnight tonight where not a lot really changes. Mark 15 is the event that changed the world. Mark tells you about this in a way to make sure you understand the significance of these events. Very early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders, the teachers of the law, the whole Sanhedrin, made their plan, so they bound Jesus. They led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. It is as you say. Jesus' answer, you have said so, that is an affirmative answer. He is saying yes. Are you the king of the Jews? It is as you say. Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So Pilate asked him again, are you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? Jesus still made no reply. Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. And a man called Barnabas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. This guy's a terrorist. That's who Barabbas is. He's not a robber. He is a terror. He's a political terrorist trying to overthrow the Romans, trying to drive out Pilate and his crew. That's why he's in prison. That's why he's up for crucifixion. The crowd came up and they asked Pilate to do for them what they usually, what he usually did. You always release a prisoner. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. Chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one that you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them, crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. 
Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged. He handed him over to be crucified. That's a horrible story. It is a Jewish crowd screaming for the blood of a Jewish man. That's, the most shock, that's one of the most shocking things about this. The Jews hated crucifixion. It was a sign of Roman oppression. Every time they saw a Jewish young man, it was always men, a Jewish young man be crucified, it was just one more sign of being under the boot of this foreign, pagan, evil empire. Yet here they are. They have been whipped up into a hate frenzy by their leaders that they are now screaming for the blood of one of their own. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Mark's, Mark wants to make sure that you have that picture in your mind. We believe Mark's the first person to have written this story down. Crucify him. Mark's doing something else in the story as he tells it. How many times in just these verses, these 20 verses, did the phrase king of the Jews get mentioned? Well, I counted, it's three. And it's going to get mentioned, or variations on it are going to get mentioned four more times before Jesus breathes his last. That cannot be an accident. Mark is making sure that you understand that Jesus dies because he actually is the king of the Jews. He is the Christ. What the disciples claimed back in chapter 8 is true and that this is happening to Jesus not because he's not the Christ, not because he's not the king. This is happening to him because he is God's king. He is the Christ. Now this is the scandal, the stumbling block that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the Jews who have suffered under the boot of Babylon and Persia and Greece and now Rome to be told that their king is crucifiable by any earthly power is a scandal is a stumbling, it's a stop, a hard stop on believability. But it's the truth. Jesus is dying precisely because he is the king that God wants. A king who is willing to say what Jesus said in chapter 14, which we studied last week. I don't want to die. God, you can do anything. 
If it's your will, please take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. This is the king that God wants. A king who is willing to die to see the will of God done. And that's who Jesus is. And Mark, make sure you know it. And so Pilate, who has power, he has authority. We know other stories about Pilate where he's not afraid to have his soldiers swing the sword and kill as many as it takes to see his will done. In this case, he totally caves to the crowd. And he says, that's fine. And he, lead, he, he allows Jesus to be turned over to the bloodthirsty will of the crowd. The soldiers, verse 16 says, led Jesus away to the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on him and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. There it is again. And again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And that when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robes and they put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way to the country and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And then they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see which one each one would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews, there it is. Again, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross, save yourselves. Same way the chief priests, teachers of the law, mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said. He can't save himself. Let this Christ, this Messiah, this King of Israel, there it is, two more times, come down from the cross now that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. What are we looking at here? On one level, We're looking at an old story. We're looking at the abuse of power. This has happened over and over and over and over again. This is the old world, the old system, the powers and authorities of this fallen universe just doing their thing. And I want you to observe how people who are caught up in the system of the powers and authorities of this world operate. 
These soldiers who are in the little fortress that's attached to the temple compound, Pilate's palace, and its little barracks, they, they don't really know much about the land where they've come to occupy. They're from all over. They'd be conscripts from several different places in the Roman Empire. They've just been stationed there. Their life is largely boring. They're somewhat afraid of the Jews because they know the Jews hate them. And here's a little chance to relieve boredom and express a little of their fear on the body of someone who's kind of helpless in front of them. And they heard a rumor that this guy's being called king of the Jews, and so that, that becomes hilarious. Let's, let's make fun of him and torture him a little bit under the title of king of the Jews. That's funny. We're looking at Auschwitz here. We're looking at Emmett Till here. We're looking at Abu Ghraib here. This is what the powers and authorities always do. People who feel strong only when they do violence on the bodies of those who are powerless in front of them. That's what we're looking at. I mean, that's one aspect of this story. The powers and authorities doing their thing on the body of Jesus. And they take Jesus out and they nail him to that cross. The people on either side of him. Mark's the one that tells us these aren't ordinary robbers. They are rebels. He uses the Greek word lestes. They are they are like Barabbas. They are political terrorists. They are involved in actions to drive out the Romans. That's why they're being crucified. And Jesus is hung up there with the sign above his head, King of the Jews. And the chief priests and the leaders of the people, they do their thing too. What a loser. This is how the people of this world operate. You can tell we're right and he's wrong because we're winning and he's losing. Isn't it obvious? how wrong he is because we're able to punish and kill him. We're able to stand here and make fun of him and he can do nothing about it. Isn't it obvious where righteousness is? I want you to get that picture in your head. This is the way the fallen world operates. This is the way the powers and authorities of this gross, misguided, twisted world rule. 
It's the world they, it's the way they want to still rule us. God's people. Jesus is killed by people who have come to believe that having power is the same as being right. It is not. The reason why God wants his king to die is to prove that those two things are not the same. Because again, and again, and again, and again, and again, Satan and his minions fool even God's people into thinking having power proves you are righteous. Winning proves you are good. Does not. Being good is what matters. Doing God's will is what counts. Even if they kill you for it. This is the story that we are witnessing in Mark 15. And this is the story that you and I just ate and drank to a minute ago and testified to the truth of. And God help us, let us live in that truth. If he gives us life in 2024, let us live in that truth in this upcoming year. At noon, verse 33 says, darkness came over the whole land till about three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is living through Psalms 22. If you go back and read, I dare you, read the first 20 verses of Psalms 22 and tell me that's not exactly what's happening to Jesus. If you didn't already know Psalms 22 and somebody gave it to you and you didn't know it was in the Bible, you would think it was just another gospel account of the crucifixion. And Jesus is living it. And so he quotes the first words of it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling on Elijah. Some ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. 
the centurion had was not the guy who hammered the nails, probably. He was the guy supervising the squad. Think of him as a staff sergeant or something like that, seeing over the soldiers who do the dirty work. He's seen this a lot of times. He's presided over lots of other crucifixions. He's watching the other two guys be crucified. He's about to order their legs to be broken so they'll die quicker. This guy has just died. But something breaks through the veil of cynicism in this centurion's heart, and he looks up and he says, something has happened. I'm in the presence of something I've never been in the presence of before. This guy is different. We don't know what all he meant when he said, this man was the son of God. But he meant something. He realized something was different. He realized something had changed. And he was right. The world is never going to be the same again. And all the powers and all the authorities and all of Satan's minions can never put the world back the way it was again once Jesus has paid this sacrifice. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 comments on this moment and says that the powers and authorities, Jesus in this moment, Led them in triumph. It's not the resurrection, though that's pretty cool. It's about to happen. In this moment, Jesus just broke the backs of the powers and authorities that have been monkeying with humans and leading them around on strings like puppets. And he led them in triumph like a returning triumphant general marching through the streets of Rome. Because the powers and authorities have been telling human beings for millennia that if you're strong, you're right. And if you're weak, you're wrong. It is the only true goodness is the power to inflict pain. And Jesus has just shown what true righteousness is all about. It is the willingness to do God's will no matter what. Jesus' death breaks the spell of the powers and authorities. He breaks the spell this world casts over us and he shows us how to be free. He shows us how to live our lives free to follow the will of God. Free to do what's right no matter what. I don't have to win 
in order to be good. I don't have to be in a position to inflict pain on others to be in the right. It's okay if people mock me and spit on me and call me all kinds of names because I am striving to do God's will. It is okay. It does not change one ounce of my standing before my Father in heaven. Jesus taught me that. And he taught me that in this moment, right here. And that can never, never change. We are in a new age, brothers and sisters. The kingdom of heaven has landed on earth and will never go away. And you and I are part of it. In one sense, I would love it if we never saw 2024. I would love it if 2023 was the last year of history. I would love it if Jesus comes now. It'd be good if he came before I finished the sermon. I'd be sad to miss the coffee, but not that sad. But whenever he chooses to come or whenever God chooses to bring him, nothing can stop his coming. And nothing can stop you from being brought into his kingdom when he comes. You be faithful. You do what's right. You let Jesus' blood bring you home. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus, his willingness to do your will while the world did its worst and thereby break the power of Satan and the powers and authorities of this fallen world. God, help us always to have clear eyes. Help us always to know the lies of those who think power makes them right, who think the ability to ridicule makes them wise. God, please help us to see through those illusions and help us to see through to your truth and help us to live in that truth. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, if you need prayers or help, or today is the day you want to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.